Hello, friends, and welcome again to our ongoing study of the apostles. As you can see, it's entitled 12 Were Chosen, a study of the original apostles. And in this lesson, we're going to be looking at Matthew and Thomas, two men transformed. This is actually lesson six in the series. Uh, up to this point, we have reviewed information about uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We've taken a look at Philip and Bartholomew, who is also known as Nathaniel, as he's described in the, in the Gospel of John. And as we go through all of these lessons, uh, we're emphasizing that, that these were ordinary men. And except for Judas Iscariot, they allowed our Lord to change their lives. Because of their change, they were able to reach incredible levels of service to the Lord. And that's an ongoing theme throughout all of these lessons. These men learned to turn their lives over to God. They, they learned to do as Jesus asks them to do. And when they did, they did extraordinary things in being able to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. And that's what we do as well. That's what we learn from them. Well, all of us have characteristics and traits in our lives that we don't like. There's a part of us that we recognize we, we need to change that. We need, we need to put it out of our lives. And sometimes we struggle to do that. And perhaps that recognition of need to change something in our life is what drove us to Jesus in the first place. Well, just like Matthew and Thomas, uh, the subjects of this lesson, we find that uh, we, we do change and we continue to change. And, and we do that because Jesus becomes more and more a part of our lives. And the way he becomes more and more a part of our lives is we study about him. We learn about him. We take what he teaches us and we put it inside. We internalize it. And it, it becomes who we are. It's who we are characterized as, characterized as Christians like Christ. But it's a growth process. It's a journey. It, it doesn't happen quickly. It didn't happen quickly with the 12 apostles. As we look at where they were and then eventually who they became, uh, it, it was a three-year growth process. It wasn't until Pentecost that they began to truly realize what it was all about and from there to go into all the world. Well, uh, again, we'll, we'll see in, in the lesson as we go through that uh, change is possible uh, no, no matter who it is. Uh, all of us can change. And, and again, there, there may be an element of ourselves that we don't like, and we want to get that away from ourselves. We do that focusing on Jesus, and it moves out the other. Well, what we're going to do in this lesson as we're have been doing in, in all of these lessons is we're going to look at what Scripture teaches us about Matthew and Thomas. Uh, we're going to see in this lesson and in, in our following lessons that, that there truly is not a lot that Scripture relates to us directly about these men. Yet we can still learn from them, and that's what we're going to be looking at. What does Scripture teach us, and what is it that we can learn? Well, we'll start with Matthew and, and talk about him, and then we'll go to Thomas. Well, again, let's, let's look at what the Bible teaches us about Matthew, what, what it says about us. Uh, first of all, Matthew is referred to as the son of Alphaeus, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 14. But Matthew is also known as Levi, 
as we have seen in some of the other lessons, uh, we'll see also again is that sometimes people have different names. Uh, it's referring to the same person. Sometimes Matthew, sometimes Levi, sometimes son of Alphaeus. Uh, I, I think the most known thing about Matthew, of course, is that he was a tax collector. Uh, we're going to talk about that in, in a minute, but uh, he's a Jewish tax collector at Capernaum. Now, because he's at Capernaum, uh, he, he may have known some of the other apostles or at least known about them. You think about John, uh, son of Zebedee, uh, a, a wealthy merchant, uh, a fisherman, probably a tax collector would know at least of them. So, so we, we see that. Uh, I don't know that that's a major point, but it's an interesting point, I think, in terms of the relationship that Matthew would have with the other apostles, especially having been a tax collector. All right, uh, Matthew, of course, is universally accepted as the author of the book of Matthew. Uh, we know the book is written with, with a Jewish audience in mind. Uh, Matthew, in his book, shows Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. And, and Matthew goes into detail from the Jewish perspective to show the lineage of, of Jesus as the Messiah, showing that he has a legitimate claim as the Messiah from the Jewish mind. And so uh, we also see the calling of Matthew, uh, one, one of those that's documented in, in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew is recorded in each of the Gospels, except for John, that the calling of Matthew. Uh, we, we know that Matthew was at his tax booth. He's doing his job of collecting taxes. But by the way, I, I want to mention something here. Uh, nowhere in Scripture, uh, we certainly wouldn't expect Matthew necessarily to relate it, but nowhere in Scripture do we see that Matthew fit the profile of being dishonest as a tax collector. We, we know that they were thought to be dishonest and probably were, but we don't see that kind of an attitude in Matthew. We, we see Matthew as a, a man going about his profession of being a tax collector. But again, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So Matthew was manning his tax booth. Uh, and Jesus walks by him and invites Matthew to follow him. Uh, we don't have any reference uh, that Matthew ever met Jesus. However, I, I, I do speculate that because Matthew was in Capernaum, as we've already mentioned, Jesus was there, had been teaching in the area, and of course Jesus had that notoriety. He was drawing crowds to him. Uh, I, I fully expect that Matthew probably had heard Jesus teach, uh, maybe, again, at least knew of Jesus. And so uh, it's, it's not unlikely that Matthew had that knowledge. And so when Jesus said, follow me, Matthew, uh, this wasn't the first time Matthew had seen or heard Jesus. And so he, he did willingly follow. Uh, Matthew, it says, immediately left his booth and followed Jesus. Uh, that, that's a remarkable thing because the tax collector would have had his records. He would have had... Uh, the money there or whatever. Uh, we, we don't know that detailed process of it, but whatever it was, at that moment in time when Jesus said, follow me, Matthew made a change in his life. He stopped being a tax collector, although he would be referred to that uh, as that, but Matthew stopped being a tax collector and started following Jesus. Now, there was something that's quite remarkable that happened, uh, uh, and, and I think uh, uh, in and of itself a great lesson for us uh, just as with Andrew and Philip, 
Matthew's first recorded action after he followed Jesus was to invite his friends to come and meet Jesus. Remember, Andrew invited Peter to come and meet Jesus. Philip invited uh, Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus. And so here, uh, Andrew and Philip did that. Now Matthew uh, invites his friends together. And who do you think his friends were? Uh, a tax collector was despised, and so therefore his friends were probably fellow tax collectors. And we know that uh, in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, uh, we have the detail of the event. Matthew invites his friends together, and they're having a, a dinner, a banquet to meet Jesus. Uh, Matthew's probably excited. He said, man, I, you guys need to come to my house this evening. I, I, you, you've seen this Jesus. He's going to be at my house, and, and we're going to to get to meet him. Well, the religious leaders in the area knew of it. They knew of the event and, and they used that event really to question the motives and the purity of Jesus. Since he was associating with, as the Jewish leaders put it, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, you know, the Pharisees strove for righteousness and in their mind, uh, they would not have been considered sinners. When they said sinners, it was somebody else, usually lower uh, levels of society. But it's interesting to note that they criticized Jesus for associating with tax collectors and sinners. So it's like tax collectors were in a group all by themselves. But there Jesus sits with tax collectors and sinners and is being criticized by other sinners who don't consider themselves as such. But beyond all of the irony of all of that, we, we also learn from that incident one of, one of the uh, wonderful teachings of Jesus about his motives. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, friends, I'm so very thankful, as we all should be, that Jesus did come because he calls us. And he not only calls us, but he grants us freedom from our sins. And so that was a lesson that came out because Jesus chose Matthew to be a, a follower of his. And Matthew responded, as all of us should, hey, I want you to meet my friend Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus uh, changes who we are into who our, our Lord wants us to be. Let me move on now. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Matthew, the tax collector, because uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a wonderful... Uh, uh, it's just a wonderful study, uh, the idea of, of this person who is so despised by society. As we say, tax collectors, uh, if, if, I cannot imagine that a young man who uh, wakes up one morning and says, you know, I think I'll be a tax collector, that, that his family and his friends would have responded with pride about, oh, look what my son is. You know, somebody says, my son's a doctor or my son's a lawyer or my son's a teacher or, or whatever uh, uh, profession that's out there that people think is honorable. My, my son's a carpenter. Uh, my son's uh, uh, whatever. But the idea of, hey, I want you to meet my son. He's a tax collector. That, that would have, uh, uh, what? <laughs> how, how did you let your son be that? 
And so this is what Matthew was. Uh, he, he's despised by those around him. He's hated. He's vilified as a traitor. Uh, he's a collaborator with the Romans. That, that's how he would have been looked upon. And in fact, he was hated worse than the Romans as a tax collector because he was looked upon as having betrayed the people. Why don't you resist Rome instead of your helping Rome? And again, he was really, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 32, describes on the same level as a prostitute. And, and my reasons for reminding you of this is, is, I think, very important to us. Choosing Matthew was consistent with Jesus' method of going to the least expected, but the ones who needed him the most. That's us. It's just amazing to me. So just as Jesus stated at the banquet in Matthew, uh, he goes to those who need him, and that's what happens. Some of us relate very strongly to Matthew. Uh, we know of our desperate need for Jesus, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think perhaps that's why Matthew recorded Jesus's words from uh, Matthew 11, verse 25, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to come back to that verse later as we conclude this lesson, because that's just such an important verse. Matthew understood those words because who likes to be despised by everyone around them, even your family in, in many cases? And so Jesus says, I can see Matthew taking that on personally. Matthew, follow me. I'll take on your burden. You, you do what I ask you to do and I'll take care of everything else. So Matthew, uh, I think, would have just... He was such a loyal follower of Jesus because Jesus is the one that's carrying the load that relieved from Matthew the guilt and the burden of that. All right, so I want to I look now. I want to change now, and, and, and let's talk about uh, what we learned from Matthew. Uh, Matthew teaches us uh, some wonderful things. Uh, Matthew was willing to leave all the worldly riches and, and the pursuit of worldly riches and instead follow Christ. You know, uh, Matthew also records, uh, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, Jesus' words about laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, that would have resonated with Matthew because he was in the pursuit of treasures, earthly gain. That, that's why he chose that profession. And he left all of that and immediately followed Jesus. So he understood and would grow even more to understand the idea of laying up treasures in heaven. But Matthew, uh, if you'll pardon the expression or pardon the pun, Matthew teaches us some great lessons. And I've got four of them that are listed uh, that, that you're very familiar with. Matthew gives us four great lessons. First of all, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is a great sermon. It's not only... Uh, technically well put together. Jesus starts with an introduction uh, with the Beatitudes. Uh, he then has a transition statement about us being salt and light and, and, and then uh, how he has come not to destroy the law but to fulfill the law. And then he goes through in Matthew 5, continuing into 6 and 7, to teach us about kingdom citizenship. Uh, remember, uh, some of you may remember in our younger years, we used to take classes called civics. 
It was all about being a citizen of our nation. Uh, here in the United States, we had civics classes in our high school. We, we learned. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't a history class. It was, it was about our, our uh, uh, form of government and that sort of thing. Well, <clears throat> that, that's, that's, that's what we see here. In, in, in Jesus's uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's like Kingdom Citizenship 101. It's, it's, the, it, it's more than the theology of Jesus. It's Jesus revealing to us what God expects of us as citizen in God's kingdom. So it's a great, great sermon. I, I, when, when I'm teaching younger Christians, that, that's really where I go to. We, we study about Christ and the life of Christ, certainly that. But then we say, well, here's the teachings of Jesus. When, when we repent, uh, it, it, part of that process of, of, of becoming a Christian involves uh, one of the elements is repenting. And that, that really means turning away from ourself and turning to Jesus and committing to the teachings of Jesus. So we go to the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew has encapsulated in that all of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the body of the lesson. And then it concludes, of course, with Jesus saying, you need to put my words into effect. If you don't, you're foolish. And he gives the parable of the builder, the one who builds on sand and the one who builds on the rock. So, so again, my point of, of saying all this is it's a great sermon. What I really see in this sermon, though, is not just the teachings and, and all of that as as uh, as I said, uh, the, the idea of Kingdom Citizenship 101. But I have found, as I've grown and matured, not only physically but also spiritually, that the Sermon on the Mount continues to apply to my life. The, the, the things that I learn from the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount continue to apply in my life as I go through different stages of physical as well as spiritual development. So that sermon is a great sermon. It's a living sermon, one that we should be intimately familiar with because it is the teachings of Jesus. And we have committed to the following the teachings of Jesus. Remember Jesus told the disciples as, as he's preparing to ascend into heaven, he gives them that next uh, one we'll talk about that great commission. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But the, the second thing that Matthew gives us, that great commitment in Matthew 10, 37 through 39, uh, we, we cannot sustain our relationship with our Lord without having commitment. And so Matthew relates to us what that commitment is. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 through 39, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, there's a lot there that spoke to the Jews. Family was important to the Jews. Lineage, your, your heritage was important to you. That family unit was important to you. You know, we, we, we know in Matthew that he traced the lineage of Jesus, showing us the family of Jesus through the ages. And, and the idea then that you, you've got to love me more than the family and everything else meant a lot. But then in the middle of this, Jesus adds that thing about whoever does not take his cross and follow me. That may not have meant 
the same thing to them at that time, but later they would understand the idea of taking up their cross because of the method in which Jesus was killed. But the Jews were very familiar with crucifixion as a method of punishment by the Romans. And so they're saying, you've got to take on this cross. You've got to be willing to die for me, is, is what Matthew's communicating there. And so really and truly, uh, again, we cannot sustain our relationship with Jesus, doing what Jesus asks us to do, without having a great commitment. Jesus said, I've got to be first. More than family, more than your life, more than everything, I've got to be first. So that's a great commitment. And you know, the more we learn of Jesus, the more our trust and, and our willingness to obey him grows as well. All right, let's talk then about uh, Matthew gives us the greatest commandments. Uh, we, we know the story. Uh, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And in Matthew 22, verses 27 through 40, Jesus tells us what it is. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's the first thing you got to do. But then he adds a second part to it that is a wonderful statement. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. Now that's an important statement because Jesus is telling us that the greatest commandment is to love God with every bit that you can and then love your neighbor as you would love yourself that's our standard of judgment. That's our standard of excellence. Because Jesus would go on later, we'll talk about that uh, if you love God, we're going to keep his commandments. We're going to do what he says. And, and so it, it really becomes the idea that if I truly love God, I'm going to try my best to do everything I can to do what God wants me to do. And then added to that is the fact that I'm, I'm going to uh, also love my neighbor. Later on in, in Matthew uh, 24 and 25, uh, Jesus is telling us about judgment. And one of the things that Jesus says there is that we're going to hear on judgment uh, this idea of well done, good and faithful servant, but also the idea that when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And, and what Jesus uses as an illustration there is the compassion and mercy and love that we showed to others in that. Uh, the idea of visiting people and, and taking care of those who are in prison and, and that, that kind of an example. Uh, in other words, we're, we're loving our neighbor as ourself. And of course, Jesus in this context of Matthew 22 goes on and gives uh, the uh, parable of the Samaritan. Now... I, I want to move on from there and talk about the Great Commission. I started to talk about it a little bit earlier the, uh, in terms of uh, what our Lord expects us to do and, and how he uh, gives us his, his teachings in, in the greatest sermon there, the Sermon on the Mount. And then later he would tell the apostles in this Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, I've got the authority and here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, go make followers of me. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. What has he commanded them? He has commanded them those things in 
the Sermon on the Mount. And then as he goes through his life, he, he teaches them further, not only uh, uh, more about the things he taught them in the Sermon on the Mount, but how to apply them. And so that's what he's telling them. Teach others to observe what I've commanded you. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're not in this by ourselves. The master's with us as well. So we grow in this great commission to where we not only are able more and more to be able to show Jesus to others, but we develop that intense desire to do so. Um, a point of note uh, you know, as, as we look at the great lessons that Jesus gives us, it, it really takes, <clears throat> excuse me, it takes us from the old to the present and then into the new. And, and that's what we're really seeing in this, this great commission here. Uh, we, we start out with the greatest sermon uh, where Jesus used the statement, you've heard it said, but I say, so he's taking what the old that they thought they knew and showing them this is what it really means. Uh, he's got the great commitment and, and the great commandment. He's taking some of the present and starting to point toward the future. And then with the great commission, he does point to the future. So he says, take what you thought you knew, what you now know, commit to it, and then carry it forward as you go from here. Uh, as I've gone through these lessons, by the way, I've, I've thought about uh, what songs the different apostles would enjoy singing uh, with us if they were with us today. Uh, I, I think Matthew would have liked our song, Take My Life and Let It Be. But I think Matthew would really, in that song, he would really have enjoyed the fourth verse. The fourth verse says, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I behold or withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Matthew walked away from the earthly riches and started laying up treasures in heaven. And so that's a lesson for us as well. Changing lives is truly uh, all about what Jesus does. Uh, and we see in the story of Matthew very clearly a life that was changed. Well, I want to shift now and I want to take a look at Thomas. We may not see uh, such a drastic change of life in Thomas as he came to know Jesus, but we do see it there as the story unfolds about Thomas. So let's, let's take a look now at our friend Thomas. Uh, Thomas is, uh, he's there in scripture, but there's just not a lot uh, that is there except his, his listing among the 12 apostles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then in Acts. And then we read about the incident that we uh, most know about, Thomas, from uh, the recording in John. It's interesting, however, that he's one of the most well-known apostles. Usually when somebody says, uh, list for me the 12 apostles, uh, Thomas is one that people have no trouble remembering. And I, I think that's because at times all of us doubt. And Thomas is known as the doubter. And, and we empathize with that. We understand that. And, and so Thomas, even though he, there's not a lot of mention in Scripture, uh, things that were great and wonderful that he might have done, we understand Thomas. And so we, we know Thomas. Thomas is known as Thomas the Twin, 
uh, John eleven sixteen. 16. Uh, the King James Version uses the term Didymus, which is Greek for and Hebrew, uh, meaning the twin. And, and so that's, that's why he's known as Thomas the Twin. Also in John 11, we see uh, some have described it as a fatalistic view. Some have said, well, no, it's a state of loyalty, a statement of loyalty and faith and courage uh, to Jesus. But as Jesus is talking about, um, he's, he's going to uh, go uh, to where, uh, to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, May, uh, Judas makes that statement. He said, or excuse me, Thomas makes a statement. Uh, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Well, Jesus wanted to go to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, and the apostles tried to talk him out of it because they knew that there was potential danger there. But Jesus, no, this is what he was going to do. So Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, Take that as you wish. Some say, like I said, a fatalistic approach. Well, you know, let's just do it. We're going to die with him. Others say, no, that was a remarkable statement of faith and courage. I kind of like to lean on the faith and courage side of it. Although Thomas was a doubter, uh, he also uh, was uh, somebody who was faithful to our Lord. Well, let me move on. In, uh, in John 14 and verse 5, Thomas asked Jesus how they would know where Jesus is going. Uh, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his upcoming passion and eventual return to heaven. And uh, it really gives us another insight into the mission of Jesus. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Thomas and the others may not have fully understood this yet. Uh, They would certainly understand it later. All right, so as I said, Thomas has the nickname of Doubting Thomas. Uh, he, he gained that nickname, of course, uh, probably. Uh, we, we know that because of what happened in John 20, verses uh, 24 through 29. After the resurrection uh, of Jesus, the apostles are all gathered together except Thomas. Now, well, you don't know why Thomas wasn't there. Scripture doesn't tell us. There's been a lot of speculation about it. Uh, I, I don't know. Thomas was not there. That's what we do know. Uh, Then Thomas arrives, and the other apostles told him, we have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Well, Thomas didn't believe them, and he stated that. He said he had to see and touch those nail marks in his hand and place his hands into his side where he would believe. You know, again, I I, kind of think the idea of doubting Thomas was a misplaced Uh, accusation of Thomas because all of the apostles at times doubted. All of the apostles had fled from Jesus, but Thomas is the one who expressed it. And so that's why it's tied to him. Jesus then appears and he invites Thomas to do just what Thomas had said he would have to do to believe. Well, this led to one of the greatest statements in scripture, one of the greatest statements of faith in scripture. Thomas, in verse 28, says, My Lord and my God. There was no doubt in Thomas's mind at that point that Jesus had risen from the dead and who he was. From that moment on, Thomas never had a doubt. He would be a faithful follower of Jesus into eternity. And, and wow, what a, what a great statement of faith from somebody who is called the doubter. 
I, I would love to change it to Thomas, great among the faithful, because that's what Thomas was. Well, just as with all the apostles, uh, there's a lot we can learn. Uh, and, and I want to talk now about what we learned from Thomas other than this great statement of faith. Like Peter, uh, we, we learned that Jesus indeed forgives and, and, and we must seize the opportunity. That's what we see happening here. Uh, Jesus appears to Thomas, invites him to touch him. Thomas immediately praises Jesus as Lord and God. Jesus didn't condemn Thomas. He, Jesus didn't say, oh, so now you believe. Well, 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 what about it before? Oh, no. Jesus praised him. And, and, and in fact, he blessed Thomas for that belief. Well, all of us have gone through periods of perhaps doubt. Uh, even John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you, are you truly the Messiah? So, so you see, all of us go through that. Uh, questioning, am I doing the right thing? Have I done the right thing? That's actually a, a, a natural phase that we go through as early Christians. Okay, I, I, I've done what you've told me I need to do. Was it the right thing? How do I know it was the right thing? But as we continue to focus on Jesus and we continue to grow in knowledge about Jesus, uh, we begin to realize indeed it was. And we praise God because of our salvation through Jesus. So all of us have had periods of doubt. Um, some of us kind of find it hard to believe. How, how could Jesus possibly be who he claims to be? It was not what they expected the Messiah to be. And sometimes we have an expectation of Jesus that's not there, but we grow to understand truly who he is. But a lot of times, too, people say, I, I am indeed, as Paul would describe himself, a wretched man. I am such a horrible person. I cannot imagine that Jesus would be willing to forgive me. But remember, when we talked about Matthew, Jesus said, come to me. Let me carry your burden. So Jesus is always ready to forgive those who turn to him. Um, and, and we see that in Thomas's life. Remember this, please. Our, our Lord does not expect perfection, but he does demand faithfulness. And that's what we see in Thomas and the others. Always remember that. We strive for perfection because we want to be better servants for the Lord, but we fail miserably. And we can always know Jesus will take us where we are and put us back on the trail to who he wants us to be. Well, Thomas was faithful even though his faith was weak. We see in Thomas a willingness to follow Jesus, even in the possibility of losing his life. At, at that point, Thomas's life was not important to him, other than it was just an instrument he could use to serve the master. And therein, I think, lies one of the greatest paradoxes, or, uh, and, and indeed one of the greatest promises given by Jesus. We have to be willing to lay down our life for him, and we gain life because of that through him. Thomas would have loved the song, He Lives. You know the song, it's a, it's a wonderful song. Uh, it says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Can you see Thomas singing that song? I, I, boy, <laughs> no microphone needed for Thomas. He would be singing that song loudly and proudly. Well, let's wrap up. Let's talk about uh, what uh, we have learned from these two men. Matthew and Thomas together, they show us that no matter who we are, uh, 
Uh, what we have uh, become in our life, no matter our doubts and fears, Jesus wants us to come home to him. Uh, I, I want to go back to the verse that I related earlier in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Uh, that statement in Matthew really underscores what happened in the life of Matthew and Thomas. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and, and I've always thought that the reason that the burden is easy and light is because Jesus helps us carry that burden. He, he is there. We're not carrying everything on our shoulders. Jesus is there with us. He takes away our burden and we take on that shared burden uh, of, of being a faithful, loyal servant to God. But, but we also learn that they continued to be a, pos, a, a positive instrument for God uh, through their example. We see we too can use our gifts. We can turn them over to the master and we can become who God wants us to be. God wants us to be like his son. So we study God, uh, we study Jesus, we imitate Jesus, we become more and more like Jesus. Well, this concludes this lesson. Uh, in our next lesson, we're going to study uh, the final um, apostles that remain faithful to Jesus. We're, we're going to take Judas Iscariot and have a lesson by itself on him because there's so much there. But we're going to take a look at James the Less, Simon the Zealot, and Judas not Iscariot. And so we'll, we'll take a look at that in our next lesson. Friends, I just thank you so very, very much for your attention and your time to continue in these lessons. But in all things, again, I say, we give God the glory. Thank you very much.